Welcome to the Community HealthCast, sponsored by the Queen's Community Health Board. I'm Deborah Radall, your host and a board member of the Queen's Community Health Board. With me today for part two of our conversation about accessibility in Queen's is our board coordinator and podcast editor extraordinaire, Elizabeth Bailey. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey, Deb. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Now, Elizabeth, this is a big topic. So if our listeners haven't had a chance to tune into part one of the accessibility conversation, where can they catch up? They can find the Community HealthCast on buzzsprout.com. Just go to buzzsprout.com and search for Community HealthCast if you would like to download it or stream it online. You can also find us anywhere you normally find your podcasts. You can also go to our Facebook page, Queen's Community Health Board. A great place to visit for any reason. You can find links to all of our episodes right there. Thanks, Elizabeth. So let's jump right in. Now, I understand Nova Scotia's Accessibilities Act from 2017 has stated that all public bodies, including municipalities and universities, are to provide an accessibility plan by May 2021. And who better to talk about what this means for Queen's County than our special guest today, Elise Johnson-Agar. Elise is the Accessibility Coordinator for the Region of Queen's. Welcome to the Community HealthCast, Elise. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy that you could make it. And first, let me say congratulations on your new position. Thank you. Would you say that the topic of accessibility is something that you feel passionate about? Absolutely. Maybe I haven't experienced it personally. I've seen it in close family members. I've seen it with friends. And I've lived in a few different places, urban and rural And it's just really unacceptable that we have portions of the population that cannot access everything that most of us can. So it's high time that we get this equalized. I agree 100%. Now, there are many kinds of accessibility challenges, right? What do you want people to understand about these differences and these challenges, Elise? Well... That there is such a range, such a spectrum. We used to think primarily of mobility and wheelchair access, and that was a starting point. Of course, with our aging demographic, we have vision loss, we have hearing loss, problems with dexterity, with memory. We get into invisible disabilities. There's a lot of talk about mental health issues and how that can impact your focus, your concentration, your comprehension. So we're looking at accessibility as a much broader set of impairments. You might not even identify as having a disability, but you face barriers With that broad perspective, we then look at the environment, not just the built, the physical environment. So my background is as an architect. That's kind of how I came into it. But what about attitudinal barriers and transportation issues, accessing information? There's great stuff online, but what if you can't see it? What if you don't have internet? There are many, many layers. So just the main starting point is to keep that really broad perspective, and it's going to be hard to please everybody in every which way. But we're going to start with awareness and prioritizing our concerns for Queen's. Can you expand a little bit on maybe a definition of an invisible disability? Help us understand that a bit more. 
Some will define them as cognitive impairments. Maybe you have a learning challenge. Maybe you have something more internalized inflammation, fibromyalgia, or Crohn's disease, and you're not comfortable going out because you might have a flare-up and you just want to lie down. It impacts your capabilities, whatever you're doing. It might impact your driving or it might impact your employment, your work, giving childcare. And this can impact us so strongly. And those of us that don't experience it have a hard time understanding. And there's this misconception that somebody is complaining too much or hypochondriac or lazy. But we're starting to understand that things like mental health and learning challenges, they can be debilitating in some situations. Yet if we make accommodations, these people can be productive. They can integrate with employment, with education. They can get around and be an active resident. Wow, Elise, there are a lot of things to consider in your position. What have you been up to since you started? Well, fairly busy. What I see with the assistive technologies, but it's a doable, realistic step that doesn't have huge budgetary impacts the way new sidewalks for the whole county. These devices can help you read signs. They can help the visually impaired, the hearing impaired, the learning impaired. And I'm just really starting to see the tip of the iceberg. And I think that that is going to be a tool that we can help various residents be a bit more involved. So advocates for organizations that represent people with disabilities are happy with some of the fallout of COVID in that we have improved digital accessibility in these kinds of meetings. I had a Zoom meeting with a girl who is completely deaf. She uses sign language, which I don't know. She was typing that I could read and I could close caption our meeting. I could save this as a document. I could do all sorts of things that I didn't even know about prior to COVID. And so we're all learning what technology can do. For that to happen, we have to have devices. We have to have access to internet. And especially the more rural we get, that is a problem. And COVID has highlighted that. Look at work from home, school from home, who could not do that. So I'm happy to see that as an issue, this is coming to the forefront. There are grants, there are programs that are trying to distribute devices that are trying to improve internet access. And maybe it's not from everybody's home, but let's say there's a community center where we'll set up a place where people can come, work, learn, do what they have to do. But yes, the assistive technology is going to be a huge factor. What do you see are some other kinds of barriers to making Queens more accessible? Physical mobility. You know, when you have a spread out population, the cost of infrastructure of things like sidewalks is going to be problematic. Are we going to sidewalk all of Greenfield and Caledonia and the ports? I'm afraid probably not. So we're going to have to really prioritize and maybe make pockets. I would love to see if each area had improved access in terms of mobility, for example. So this is why we have a survey. We want to hear who is out there. What are the priority concerns? Help us customize the plan. We're not reinventing the wheel. There are templates. We know certain things that we have to bring up even the building code standards, they used to be really bare minimum. 
they have been upgraded quickly, dramatically. We're looking at things like the Rick Hansen Foundation that has an accreditation certification, which I took last year. To be a gold standard, you know, it's not going to happen in a rural setting like this. Cities, Toronto, Vancouver are striving and they're finding pockets of success. But to start with the awareness and really hearing from the residents. And that's where I need help with the public outreach. I want to hear from Queen's residents. What are your biggest barriers? What are your frustrations? How can we help you? How much input do you want to hear, Elise, from our community? And what are the kinds of things that you're putting in place in order to make it accessible for people to give you that feedback? We came up with a survey that tries to hit on the different categories that were defined by the province. Transportation, employment, information, physical access, all these areas. Now, I know that a survey can be cumbersome for some people. We have it online. We have hard copies. I could do a phone interview with somebody. We could just have a conversation. Maybe you don't feel like answering 20 multiple choice. You can just tell me. Just give me your rant. What are (laughs) your biggest frustrations, your biggest barriers? And then we'll start looking at what we can do. Back to sort of the sidewalk and road condition, you know, there is a balance of municipal versus provincial. You know, there are going to be these sort of red tape headaches. But as I keep saying, we're going to start by listening to the community. So people can find digital information if they have access to internet. The Region of Queen's website homepage has a nice big block called accessibility. Click that. You will get either an online survey or you can download, print as you choose. I have hard copies, places like the pharmacy, the library. I'm going through home support, VON. So, Elise, do you really want people calling you up and setting up ways to chat with you? So that's something that you're open to? Absolutely. My email is ejohnston.com. That's J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N at regionofqueens.com. I'm hearing about an advisory committee. Talk to us a little bit about that. Thank you. Yes. As much as we're starting with a survey to get feedback, we need five members of the public, preferably people with a disability or who work with people with disabilities. We need to hear hands-on experience. Doesn't matter if I've taken Rick Hansen course, I do not know the real story. So five members of the public who feel like they can be helpful, we'll have a monthly meeting, hopefully some between meeting activity. There will also be two counselors on board. And yeah, I would like to have a nice range of participation. As I mentioned, I've spoken to somebody who's deaf, uses ASL. I've spoken to somebody who's completely blind a bunch of people in wheelchairs. And I've spoken to Quasal representatives, the assisted living, maybe somebody from the manor, from home support. There's so many people who could help move this in a very customized way. So if we have any listeners who are interested in being part of this advisory committee, what do they need to do to get involved? So on our main webpage, theregionofqueens.com, there is also a link to the terms of reference that will really describe this advisory committee and an application form. That deadline will close September 18th. 
Once we have defined the committee, sort of selected those five, it's not to say the door is closed on anybody else. I still will invite you to meetings. You could start a subcommittee if you like. Just because you're not on the committee does not mean that it stops there. If you could wave a magic wand and achieve three things that would overcome barriers here in Queens County, what would they be? One would be completely 100% wheelchair access to everywhere. Great attitude from the general public in terms of employing people with disabilities. Plenty and plenty of grants, but I guess I've already done my accessibility. (laughs) I think we all would want to wave our magic wand to get plenty and plenty of of grants. Yes. So you did touch on when we were explaining about accessibility challenges, you did mention or phrase attitudinal changes. Or Can you expand on that a little bit, please, Elise? It's one of these masked prejudices that we may have developed. Depending on your age, you may or may not have been in, say, integrated classrooms where we haven't really had a chance to deal with people who have a range of abilities and disabilities. So maybe we get scared off, maybe we just don't understand, or maybe we just think, oh, they can't, they can't see, so they can't do X, Y, Z, or they're having trouble right. moving around. But you know, there are plenty of statistics and examples out there that show people with disabilities are often the best employees. As we improve accessibility across the board, it'll be easier for everybody to show their range of abilities because they have access. And with assistive technology, it can really tear down a lot of the barriers that you might not necessarily have when you're working face-to-face with somebody. Um, So the more we allow people to participate and integrate, the more we'll see them and the more we can interact and just give everybody the opportunities. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today on the Community HealthCast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Elise. Next week on the Community HealthCast, join host Rick Conrad as he interviews Julie Vinote, Executive Director of South Shore Sexual Health, about their Community Health Board Wellness Fund project, Gender Awesome, an online guide for teens and gender. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page, Queen's Community Health Board, for links to this episode, further resources, and lots of great information about what we're doing in Queen's County.